Cochlear Implant Basics is a site for candidates, recipients, and their families and friends. If you or a loved one is profoundly hard of hearing, newly deaf, or have experienced sudden hearing loss, we are here to share our stories and tell how receiving a cochlear implant can be a life-changing event. This site is not medical advice, nor is it brand-specific. Within these podcasts and videos, you will meet recipients who faced hearing loss situations, and hearing aids could no longer provide comprehension of speech or music. They share the stories of how they lost their hearing, their struggles with growing isolation from their family and friends, their inability to compete in the world of business, their difficulties of navigating air travel without hearing, how the joy of music disappeared, and the panic of not being able to use a telephone to contact 911 to get aid for a loved one. They will talk about their fears and the reason they procrastinated to get a cochlear implant and the reasons they moved forward. How receiving a cochlear implant changed their lives and the lives of those who surround them. You will meet audiologists and surgeons and those who support the deaf and hard of hearing communities. Welcome to Cochlear Implant Basics. Reminder, Cochlear Implant Basics is not offering medical advice. Please consult your own healthcare provider. Dr. Vicki Moore is an audiologist and co-owner of the Hearing Spa in Sarasota, Florida. In addition to hearing aids, she does evaluations for cochlear implant candidates, as well as programming for all three major manufacturers. In her interview, she discusses the testing, the cooperation with the surgeon and the manufacturers, and activation from the viewpoint of the audiologist. Her independence gives her a unique perspective in which a new candidate will find enlightening. This is her story. Tell me a little bit about your background, your education. Initially, I was born and raised in England, and then I moved to the States. When I decided to become an audiologist, at the time the field was going through a transition, so audiology at that point was a master's degree. And I decided, because I could see kind of the way the future was going, to get my doctorate in audiology. And there were programs opening up with doctoral degrees. So I have my doctoral degree in audiology, which is a clinical degree. And with four years for audiology, I have a four-year undergrad degree in communication sciences and disorders. So a total of eight years of education to do audiology. Why did you decide to go into audiology? So for me, it was a little unique. My parents owned a hearing practice, so I kind of worked in the summers and kind of worked in this field. So that's how I ended up picking audiology. I was born and raised into it, so to speak. So, okay, you have this practice in Sarasota. How do clients find you? Why do they seek you out? So most of my patient base comes to me from referrals, people who are having struggles with hearing. I also get a lot of referrals from other patients, from physicians, people with all different types of hearing loss. I'm unique because I work not only with hearing devices, but I also work with cochlear implants and do a lot of testing for other types of services through VA and things like that. So, Well, a client comes to you for a hearing aid and they're struggling. At what point do you say to them, let's investigate a cochlear implant? When we do a full diagnostic testing, and I do the whole diagnostic testing here, we have a sound booth, and we use the latest equipment, do a full hearing test, and we use something called word recognition. Word recognition is the patient's ability to understand words corrected for their hearing loss. So I look at that, and I look at the degree of hearing loss to determine whether a cochlear implant may be the next step. And then if 
during counseling, they're open to possibly doing a cochlear implant evaluation. When I look at that test result, I explain that this may be the next step. And if they're open to it, we then set them up for cochlear implant evaluation, which is a little different testing. Well, the people are very, very interested in what is the evaluation testing for cochlear implants. So I would hope you would just describe a little bit. so sure. that. Sure, certainly. So the testing for a cochlear implant, we put you back in the booth. It is word testing using sentences, and we use a test called the AZ-Bio test. It was devised by the three main cochlear implant companies, and it's standardized testing for implants. So you're doing these words, you're doing them with both hearing aids on because you have to be amplified and corrected for that test. Then we do right ear only and left ear only. We also do CNC testing, which is another single word set testing. And then we score it and it's all score to normative data that the companies put out. And then we look at those scores. Depending on insurance, there's different requirements for that scoring. So for Medicare, typically it's 40% or below, and we can add noise to that. So some of my patients, if their criteria is that they're struggling still, but they're, we know that if we add noise, that will help. We add that noise, and then that's also done with that speech testing. Now, there are some of the audiologists, I understand, do three or four stages of testing. What do you do after that? So after that testing, depending on what we find, if you're a candidate, my practice, you'd meet with the surgeon. There's vestibular testing that has to be done. So there's balance testing because we need to find out if one side is better than the other. You have to have a CT or MRI depending on the surgeon that you're seeing and then follow up with their team to make sure you're a surgical candidate. So I'm doing the testing to see if you're a candidate for a hearing device, but there's two parts to it. You can be a candidate on paper, but health-wise, if your health cannot sustain a surgery, then you may not be able to have that CI surgery. So that's kind of what we have to look at. We have to check all the boxes to make sure that the patient is able to have that surgery. Now, how do you determine, because some people go right on to social media and they say, I want a Baja versus a CI, and they're really not clear about the differences. Mm -hmm. So could you take a few minutes to talk about that? So commonly, and we'll have patients call that will ask for a cochlear implant evaluation. They've never met with a cochlear implant audiologist. Some of them have never had their hearing tested, so they're not sure what it is they need. When we do them, we do the initial evaluation kind of go from there and talk to what the patient's needs are. Sometimes they just need a hearing device. Sometimes they have no hearing in one ear and we can look at a Baja. So a Baja is very good for a patient that has single-sided deafness. If they have good residual hearing in the other ear, we can do demos of the Baja. So that's the bone anchored hearing aid in office. So if we have somebody who meets that requirement, we could do that. Some people don't wish to have surgery because that is a surgery for that device. So then we look at a bicross or a cross, depending on what their needs are. Talk about the bicross a little bit. What is so that? The bicross is a hearing device where you have a hearing aid on one ear and then a transmitter that looks just like a hearing aid on the other ear. And then we send the sound from the bad ear with the deafness, so to speak, to the good ear. And sometimes on that good ear, you have to have some amplification, so hence the word bicross. It's getting some amplification in your good ear from your experience, or what kind of percentage of people will the bicross work for? We don't see too many people with single-sided deafness, but for those that do, our technology with bicross and cross devices now is, is gotten a lot better. So I'd probably say about 60-70% of people will end up going that route as opposed to getting a Baja. 
I think maybe I'm unique because I'm we don't have a surgeon on site, so my figures may be a little bit skewed because I'm seeing more patients that have either looked at the surgical option or just don't want surgery, and they know that I do bicross or cross hearing devices, so they'll come in. But they are successful now with the new technology they have for bicross and cross. Somebody comes in and you've tested them and you try to suggest a cochlear implant. Do they go into shock or what's the typical reaction? Uh, that's a good question. I'm mixed on that one because sometimes people come in and they have the idea that they may be a candidate for an implant. Sometimes they are completely in shock that they've kind of missed their window for a hearing device and they're now in candidacy realm for an implant. Not everybody wants to have surgery. Some people adamantly won't even consider it because they feel there's a stigma with their cochlear implants. So then you kind of have to do what's best for the patient and the limitations of what they'll allow you to do. I always like to show patients kind of what implants look like because they're not like they used to be 10, 15 years ago. They're a lot smaller now. We have the Canzo and the Rondo, which is a lot smaller device versus the over-the-ear. Some people don't like the -the over-the-ear options. So it's just trying to overcome what their initial objections are to see if you can figure out why they might not want to go that route. But with an implant, you want a motivated patient. So you never want to push somebody into an implant, even if they are a candidate, because motivation is part of the rehab process. And if they're not motivated, then they may not do as well as we would like. It's true that sometimes I've worked with people, it may take a year or two until they finally become motivated because now they're in enough pain isolation. So what about the borderline candidate, the candidate who's maybe... With a borderline candidate, depending on the hearing loss configuration, there are options. We do have implants that are hybrid implants, which can preserve some of the low frequency. Different companies have different names for them that give you that acoustical component so you're not losing your low frequencies, but we are going in and putting in electrical stimulation in the higher frequencies. So we do try to have an open mind on how we can fit patients and what's best for the patient. A lot of it goes on how long they've been struggling as well and what their life looks like, social history, what they're doing. I have patients that are younger that a hybrid would definitely be the way to go. So we kind of want to make sure we preserve as much low frequency information. So it just kind of depends on the audiogram, patient's motivation and kind of what they are kind of expecting from life. We always here want to make sure that they're aware of all their options. I always say it's my job to make sure you know what your options are. Obviously, it's up to the patient to decide kind of what fits best, but at least they know they didn't leave the facility saying, I never knew I was a cochlear implant option, and that was never mentioned to me. It's funny that you say that because many, many people say, I'm too old for this, or I've been deaf too long for this, and cochlear implant won't work. And your experience is what? My experience, not true. I have many patients such as yourself and a few others that have been pretty much deaf over 30 years and they are wearing implants and they're doing phenomenal. I call you guys my rock star patients. So we have our rock stars that are doing so well with implants and it kind of everything in literature that I read when I was in school and that other people may have seen that talks about how people may not do well with an implant the longer they've been deaf. We're now seeing cases where that is not true. So I always tell people, give it a chance because you can't be doing worse than you currently are doing if you are not hearing and you are deaf. So it's definitely a better option than where we are. It's interesting that I've never met anybody who said, I'm not doing well. I wish I had never had it done. Have you ever experienced that? 
I haven't. We're fortunate at this center, the patients that we see, everybody for the most part does really well. And we have some exceptions to that rule. But still, if I say, would you rather go back to where you were? They wouldn't want to go back to where they were. So even though it's not perfect, it's definitely the reason you're an implant candidate is because you're not doing well with your hearing aids. So that's why you're in that candidacy criteria. Let me ask you another question about candidates that are qualified. Now they have to make a choice. And in my case, I have what I call a document dump. You go to the audiologist, they dump the manufacturer's brochures in your lap. Do you help the patient choose or should that be the patient's choice? So a few things that go into that. We work with all three manufacturers, so I like to be able to have access to everything. I have some patients that come in that have done their research beforehand and they know what they want. Typically, I will advise patients on what is available, what type, what each company's pros and cons are, so to speak. We also look at the anatomy of the ear because some of them have smaller processes than some of the others. And then the final part of that, in my mind, is up to the surgeon because they're the one that's putting the electrode in and different companies have different electrode arrays. So they may think that one may be better for the anatomy of the ear than the other. But I try to kind of give them as much information as they can to make an educated decision. But the surgeon does make a decision for them? The surgeon sometimes, depending on the anatomy, may say, we have to go this route and they will normally give you a reason. A lot of the time, what the patient decides is what the patient gets after we do a discussion. I try to leave it up to the patient to make that decision with as much information as I can get. We have a very active hearing loss association group here in Sarasota, Florida. So I always have people that are potential candidates go to that group. I also try to have them speak to some of my recipients that are working well with the implant so they can kind of see pros and cons and what they like. So before they make that decision, it's not something they do lightly. They typically get lots of good information and weigh it out for themselves. They understand they can't change the decision once it's implanted. So that's the one thing that we do make sure that once you have a manufacturer and you pick it, that is the manufacturer that you are with. And although we can upgrade the processor, the external piece, the internal piece, that is what you're working with. So you have to stick with that manufacturer. I want to go back to single-sided deafness Mm -hmm. because that's become a very hot-button topic right now about cochlear implants and single-sided deafness. Do you want to describe how that works? Why would somebody get a cochlear implant for single side? So there's research studies that have been done for single-sided deafness. I am not a study center, but I have had participants that I have sent to studies. So it is something that is recently, like you said, a hot button topic. I have sent people for it. I have not seen it myself with patients, whether they choose to go with single-sided for an implant. So I don't know how much I can really speak to that firsthand, but I do know that people are trying it and it does seem like it is something that may be the way forward because we are using better electrodes now and preserving hearing. What about your relationship with the surgeons and the follow-up? What happens there? We work with two centers. We have a center locally that we work with. I also have a center in Tampa that I work with. Both centers we have full cooperation with, which is really nice. So once I find a candidate and I identify it, depending on the candidate, they advise me, you know, who they would like as a surgeon option. And then depending on what they tell me, we kind of go over setting up the appointment with the facility, making sure that we have all the paperwork for them. We send it up. I do the order forms here in-house and then we send them to whichever facility they decide to go with. 
And then after that, once they've had their surgery, they do a pre-op first visit, a pre-op visit, surgery, and then a post-op. And then they're back to me and I see them for the remainder of their care. And then they may see their surgeon annually or every two years, depending on what the surgeon decides. So I kind of take over care from there and then send reports to the surgeons. What about your relationship with the manufacturers? Do they provide support for you or training or what? They do. do For us to be a certified center, that means we have to have support from the manufacturers. So as I said, I work with Advanced Bionics, Cochlear and Medell. And all of them, we have good relationships with the representatives. I meet with them at least once every quarter. They give me their updates. I attend their trainings. If we have a software update, that gets sent to us. And we make sure the patients then get that update if needed. It's definitely a very good relationship, a close relationship with those manufacturers, because we want to make sure that if there's an update or a recall or something, that we know about it. Well, you talk about the training you get from them, because I think that candidates will be interested in What kind of training do you get from manufacturers? So a lot of the manufacturers provide continuing education units. So we call them CEUs. I would say once a quarter again, they're holding an event that we attend to either locally or I have gone to Atlanta and Colorado for different events to get training. So whenever a new product comes out or if they introduce an upgrade or something like that, they always provide a training, which we go to. And then we do a one-day training or two days, depending on how significant that upgrade is. They'll also come in office and do trainings. So I need training and can't make a training in a different state. They will come in and our representatives will train us. Once we get trained, we get certificates to say that we've been trained. When I started doing implants, going back a little bit here, they used to do an online course, which you could complete. And they had different modules before they would allow you to start taking on CI patients. So I had my practicum courses, which I did when I was in school. I also worked with a CI audiologist for a year when I was a graduate student. And then I also passed those practicum courses and modules through the manufacturers to make sure that I was able to see CI patients. Well, let's talk about when things go wrong. <laughs> things never go wrong. No, things, <laughs> okay. Optimistic. Okay. Yeah. Things do yeah, go wrong do and go people wrong. are always worried about that. So if you have a recipient who's saying, I'm not hearing very well, blah, blah, blah. So occasionally things will go wrong. Occasionally there are times when, thankfully, it does not happen very often, but we could have a failure. A failure in my world is when... Everything is working with the processor. Everything is connected. Software looks good. We're still not getting sound. So sometimes that means internally the electrode just stopped working. And as I said, thankfully, I've been doing this 12 years and I see probably over 100 CI patients and we've only had one. So I have been very fortunate. And that was a known recall by one company. So when all else fails, you have a failure, we bring out the team because we have a close relationship with the team. They have to do an what we call an integrity check to check the integrity of the electrode. The team is from the manufacturer. The team is from the manufacturer. They check everything. And that's when we determine what is going on. And then at that point, we have to make a decision from there. Sometimes it's typically a resurgery type situation. From the audiologist's point of view, activation day. People go online, social media, and they see all these happy faces being activated. What's your experience Um, as an audiologist? Talk about activation. Activation day has changed due to social media. I will say that. Expectations, 
are definitely very high now with activation. And we always hope and pray that an activation will go that way. But most of the time, realistically, when we do an activation, you will hear some sounds. Typically, I've been told I sound like Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, the whole gamut, but you don't hear speech straight away like you normally did. It's not something that sounds normal, natural, like you remember. It takes the brain a while. So occasionally we'll find somebody who can hear straight away when we activate them, but that is very, very rare. I know online when they do the activation, it seems like everything, they just start hearing straight away. That is not the case. And we normally set things softer. So we typically work through what we call progressive maps. So I kind of call it my baby step approach. So we don't turn things up to where they should be straight away. We start a little softer and then progressively work up to the map that we need. A map is what we call the processing strategy we put in the processor. So we do a little bit at a time and counsel a patient. Week one, you want to be on your, your lower map and then turn it up a little bit to your second and third and fourth. So there is a little more to it than just switching it on and then being able to hear straight away. The brain has to get used to the stimulation and that most of the time takes a while. It's not an instant thing. How many return visits do they need after have activation? My protocol for visits is we see you for activation then we typically see you about two weeks later. Then I will see you in another two weeks. Then depending on how we're doing, we will see you at about two months and then three months, and then every six months after that. But some of that does vary depending on my patient. If it's somebody who is doing really well, we may not see them as much. If it's somebody who needs a little extra help, then I may see them more. So we do have that flexibility built in if needed. And what about your greatest success stories? What do you have? So I'm talking to one of my greatest success stories right now. We know (laughs) Richard is right here. Sometimes you just get a patient that even though you think on paper may not do as well as you think they will, they do phenomenal. And Richard, I'm sure won't mind me sharing that he scores over 80% on his AZ bios with his implants. Prior to that, we were at zero. So definitely huge improvement. I have a few more patients, similar situation that have been deaf for a long time and now wear implants and now can function in here close to as normal as I think we can get with the implants in everyday life. So That's one of the reasons why I do this job. It's because I know that for every patient, although everybody is different, we can get them hearing better. And I know what an impact it is to hear on their life so they can hear again. Talk about your most disappointing activation. So I had a patient who, and I think some of this does come down to motivation, just was not motivated. Her family wanted that implant to be done. And we did it purely because her family wanted it to be done. But I think her harm wasn't in it. And so it was sad because from the get-go, the sounds were not appreciated. She didn't like what she heard. And then trying to get somebody to wear something when they don't like the way it is and have a hard time looking at the future. Because with implants, it's not an overnight. It's a long-term goal. So we always say, you'll be doing better in about six months. Six months is a long time to wait when you're eager to hear. And so we could not get that person to wear it for the six months to just commit to the rehab. And in the end, they ended up taking it off at about three, four months. And unfortunately, even though the family was heavily motivated, as she the wasn't. patient is not motivated, we just can't do it. Are there features you would like to see the manufacturers add to CIs? Definitely, I would like to see 
more of the Bluetooth improvements. We have it in hearing aids where you can use hearing aid as your mic so you don't have to hold your phone up. I would like to see that for implant patients. I'd like for implant patients not to just be committed to one type of cell phone. I'd like them to be able to use an Android as well as an iPhone. I think that should be coming shortly. Automatic features, definitely more with the directional microphones, although we are getting that way. Cochlear has forward focus. We have stereo zoom with AV, but just an improvement on some of the noise reduction. And I do think we're getting there. It just, like everything, takes a little bit of time. So I agree with you. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to add to the interview that, that new candidates should know from your point of view? Definitely when people come in, if they think they're a candidate, I like them open-minded to listen to kind of what we have to say. Try to always bring somebody with you because when you don't hear well, four ears are better than two, especially when you're not hearing well. Definitely take notes. Ask your audiologist any question. There is no stupid question. I think sometimes people don't want to ask because they feel like they should know the answer. There's nothing that you can ask us that we haven't probably heard before. And we'd rather you be knowledgeable and know what you're going in for. So definitely just be your own advocate. Advocate for yourself and your audiologist is there to help you with that every step of the way. Thank you so much for your time. It's very informative and I'm sure that new candidates will find a lot of information they can use. Thank you for having me.